Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Wednesday at Buckeye Talk. It's the rants. I say a Wednesday because I don't know. We're we're kind of going to squeeze in a bunch more podcasts here between now and the game on Saturday. So maybe that means there'll be another podcast up later on Wednesday. But for now, we're trying to get this to you late Wednesday morning. Sorry it wasn't up overnight. 160 plus rants I went through. Um, Let's get to it. A little bit of Thanksgiving stuff, maybe, but mostly football and the game. Here we go. From the 502. First, how much of a role will Jack Sawyer have in stopping the run against the team up north? I find it specifically with the Leo role. Second, I wonder how much the Jack Leo position in particular had to do with Ryan Day hiring Jim Knowles. Today, meaning Tuesday, Jim Knowles said that the Jack position gave them a list of options to stop the run game this weekend. He also said previously that there are things that they have not really rolled out on this defense. Also today, Ryan uh, Ryan Day specifically mentioned that they evaluate their coaches on the big games. You have to wonder how much of a factor being able to stop the run against the team up north was in hiring Jim Knowles. So this was another clarifying thing for me. I think this is a big deal. I think it's one of the bigger things in the game. And I don't. I think the idea that Jim Knowles is going to give opposing offenses something to think about and not be static. And often in the biggest games against the best opponents, that's when that matters the most because Ohio State can out-talent so many people. I think that's the factor. Now, Big game. What does big game mean? Big game means tough competition. And big, ga- big game is where schemat- schematic advantage comes in. But this Jack Leo position, this stand-up edge rusher who moves it around, is, we've watched the, the evolution of this over the course of the season. And Knowles at the beginning did say it really was a major run game stopper. Now, you can get caught up in the idea that it's to free that guy up to rush the passer. You don't know where he's coming from. He might be lined up outside the the end, uh, outside the tackle, he might be lined up inside, you know, over one of his defensive tackles and wind up trying to shoot the gap between the center and the guard. But in the run game, I think the issue with Michigan is its run game is so precise. And there are so many blocks, especially when they're pulling a bunch of people. Um, This is not just bully ball. This is not we're just going to line up and move you backward by blocking the guy in front of us. Now, it is sometimes, but a lot of times on their big runs, it's getting their athletic linemen out 
and they're finding guys to block. And if Jack Sawyer is moving around, he's, it's going to be harder for them to find him. So the idea of, okay, hey, we're going to run right. We're going to pull the left tackle, the left guard in the center. The guard and the center are going to take, um, you know, the outside backer and uh, the defensive end. And now here comes the left tackle. He's getting to the second level and he's taking the middle linebacker, let's say, right? You're looking for a guy over there. You're looking for a key. Find the right guy to block. If you don't know where Jack Sawyer's going to be, it makes it harder to be precise in that run game. So I think that's going to open up, oh, we thought we had it blocked, but Jack Sawyer, you know, had pursuit from the backside of the play and he tackled the running back after a gain of three when we thought maybe it was going to pop and get out of the house. I think I think that's the kind of thing that you could see happening on Saturday. And I do think that's potentially a very big deal because there's precision to it. And when you confuse people, it's harder to be precise. And we often think of that of you want to give a quarterback different looks. You want to have one thing pre-snap and one thing post-snap. You want to roll your secondary in a certain way. You want to you want to have your corners in a coverage where you're not sure, the quarterback's not sure what it's going to be. But it can apply the same way for a precision run game to a pulling offensive lineman. So, yes, this was a moment. Landis asked about it on Tuesday with Jim Knowles. It was referencing something Jim Knowles said uh, early when he got here about the the Leo Jack stand-up edge rusher. Um, and again, I say edge rusher. It's not... It doesn't have to be a rusher. It's an edge guy, right? I, I think this is really potentially a thing. I think this is really potentially a thing, and you really may may see it show up, and it could be one of the keys to stopping the Michigan run game. All right. This is kind of a general theme that I agree with. This is from the 440. I hate the narrative that Ohio State has to be the tougher team than Michigan. Why should Ohio State try and tough out teams when they can simply just throw the ball over their heads? You have Marvin Harrison Jr. along with a plethora of five-star receivers. That's going to be the difference maker right there. One more along these lines from the 513. Long-time listener, first-time tech subscriber, first-time rant. Thank you. Figured I'd try it out in this week of all weeks. I've been trying to put my thoughts on what I believe the key of the game is besides health, and this is what I came up with. All season, Ohio State has been on a mission to try and prove that they have evolved and can play Michigan's game of physicality, run game, and toughness. For Saturday, though, I say to heck with that plan. Nobody in America can play Michigan's game as well as they can. I think Ryan Day will be making a critical mistake if he decides to open up the game with establishing the run and playing defense. Michigan has shown this season that they are in no way capable of playing on a fast track in a shootout. If I'm Ryan Day, I'm taking the ball to start the game. I'm going bombs away with the passing game. Anyway, that's my very long rant. I hope you have a great week. Love the podcast and go Bucks. That's Gabe in the 513. So don't get in a toughness battle. I said that a couple weeks ago. That is not what this is about. You don't want to be lured into that. And again, it's an easy boxing match analogy. Um, If you're in a fight with a brawler, don't get inside and brawl with him. Stay on the outside and jab him, right? Wear him down. Move around. Use your quickness. Use your hands. So so Ohio State, jab Michigan, man. Don't get in there in the clinch and, and just, you know, take body shots. I don't think... They'll get lured into that. And there is a way to show toughness. I asked Ryan Dave a couple weeks ago, all right, it's easy to think about it in short yardage in the run game that that's toughness. But what else is toughness? And this has come up. You know, there's an idea of if things go wrong in a game, you don't hang your head and you fight back. And they've had a couple games this year where it's been in the balance late, Notre Dame, Penn State, Maryland, and they won. So that's a way of showing toughness. Certainly defensively, right, there's a way to show toughness rallying around each other 
in a game like this, you know, there are going to be moments, right? You always see, can maybe get a little chippy. We have a question about that later. Having each other's back, that can be toughness, right? And I think there's a little bit of that maybe that wasn't shown last year. It doesn't mean you want to get in a fight, but there are ways to show toughness that are different than we slam the running back into the line on first and 10, got a yard, now it's second and nine, now we threw an incomplete pass, and now we're behind the sticks. So I do think they, they're going to want to be balanced, but I think they need to throw to lean on the pass game, and I think they will. So I think you want to have a toughness mentality. I think you want a united brotherhood. Let's, you know, some kind of revenge mentality, but I don't think you have to show that by running the ball 45 times. And I don't think they will. I do think there is a mental aspect to this, but I think Ryan Day is aware of it. So I am completely with everybody who has this line of thinking, but I'm not, I think you want to be on alert for it. If they come out, if Ohio State on its first possession comes out and runs between the tackle, runs between the tackle, and gets a third and two and runs it and doesn't make it, I would maybe not feel great. I would maybe not feel great about that, but I don't think that's going to happen. So how do I say it? I'm on alert for it, but I'm not worried that that's what they're going to do. But I think they really can't do it, but I don't think they're going to. But don't do the thing that I'm pretty sure you're not going to do. Okay, more rants. Rant about the schedule. This is Kevin in Winthrop Harbor, Illinois. I hate that the game is on Thanksgiving weekend. I've been a fan since 1968, and the third Saturday in November was the ideal date for the game. There are too many other things going on over a four-day holiday weekend that distracts from the rivalry and build up to game time. So I also agree with this, but I think it's over. And rants, you know, we're not, this is not called Ohio State solving problems. This is Ohio State rants. So 2006, College football goes from an 11-game regular season schedule to 12. So now you got you added a week. What do you do? Well, the Big Ten, for those several years there, just played 12 straight weeks, and they still got done the weekend before Thanksgiving. Then in 2010, for the 2010 season, they decided to add a bye weekend. You need an off weekend. I don't think it's reasonable to ask in this day and age to ask college football players to play 12 straight weeks. So they add that, and then 2010, that's when it moves to Thanksgiving week. So now it's just part of, but of, of what it is now. But it certainly, is, as most of you know, it wasn't always that. It's not like Ohio State, Michigan has been tied to Thanksgiving. We say the last Saturday in November it was a long time. It was the third Saturday in November. And the Big Ten took a lot of pride in being done by Thanksgiving. I think it would be better, but I don't think there's a way around it at this point. I think you have a better chance of moving Thanksgiving than you do of getting the Big Ten or college football to do something that would change this. So, I mean, we're going to be in a point when we get to a 12-team playoff where it's going to feel like we're going to go almost straight from the beginning of September through New Year's compared to a world where Ohio State in 2006 was done before Thanksgiving and then didn't do anything until the national championship game. 40-plus days, right? Everybody remembers that. So now, I mean, it's just changed, but I do think this is too much. It is one of the best holidays of the year one of the one of the great times for family and it's also the most important college football game of the year it's rivalry week for everybody so is ideally is rivalry rivalry week 
wedged in with Thanksgiving week? Is that great? Do they complement each other? Or does it make it a little nuts? I mean, I think it makes it a little nuts. Now, you might coincidentally then have family around, people hang out, so you can watch the game on Saturday. But I think this is a worthy rant, because I think in an ideal world, you wouldn't have a major national holiday that changes the rhythm of the week the same time you have the game. But like we're, it's never, it's never going to change. Like this is just how it is now. It's never going back to where the game would be, be played before Thanksgiving. You know, I, I think the only possibility would be if we somehow moved the season even later and played this week, the first week in December, and then you played like so if you got, I think that would be maybe possible down the line. But again, I think people are very wary of playing regular season games in December. So anywhere north of the Mason Dixon line, so I don't people want to don't think people want to do it. But that's the, that would be much more possible than moving it before. But I think this is just it, and it's been a long time now. But I certainly covered the game when it wasn't Thanksgiving week. Most of you listening remember that, and I do think that was better, just for the rhythm of it, and you you could just have a normal week and dedicate all of your mental energy, all of your resources to Ohio State Michigan, rather than share having Thanksgiving in Ohio State. I mean, honestly, for many of you listening. Wouldn't you say potentially that Thanksgiving Day on Thursday and the Ohio State-Michigan game on Saturday, those are two of the best five days of the year? Not related to each other, but two days apart? That's kind of that's kind of weird. It's like, you know, like I just... So anyway, I agree. Okay, we're just trying to be in that... Uh, along those lines, we're going to be a little bit thankful for the game. And, and we're going to do that after... Well, we'll do it. We'll do it right now. Let's do it right now. This is an amazing text, and I want to share it with you. It's from Doug Miranda in the 614. I'm an old guy, the son of a father who was president of the Ohio State Alumni Association in Akron and in Springfield. He died at the age of 42 of a brain tumor of the pituitary gland um, during an operation at the Cleveland Clinic. His last golf game was with Coach Fessler. Wes Fessler, and I was present, and it was something to see my father in that moment. He died four weeks later uh, on the day of the Ohio State-Michigan game. The first one that I remember was 1944, that our text remembers the 1944 Ohio State-Michigan game, when Les Horvath played, paved the way, and of course, of course he became a dentist in his later life. But we couldn't make an extra point, so it was 18 to 14. I was at Ohio State during Woody's great years, early great years, and then I was born with scarlet and gray blood. And I can't wait for this game Saturday. It's going to be exciting. I love Jim Tressel, especially love Tressel. I love Coach Day. I think he's doing a wonderful job. Urban never lost. You just have to grow up in this as part of our Ohio State Michigan life. Football is part of my life, and I have watched. Um, for my whole life, and I hope I get to see another great game on Saturday. I loved Bo Schembechler. My mother said, why aren't you more like Bo Schembechler? He said he always called his mother every day. Why aren't you more like Bo Schembechler? He calls his mother every day. Is that a wonderful thing? I love that. So anyway, I'll leave that as my rant. I could go on and on. I'm 87 years old. I've been a season ticket holder since 1957, 
Go Bucks. An 87-year-old Ohio State fan whose father golfed with Wes Fessler texted us. That's the kind of thing for the game that gets you jumping, doesn't it? That's the kind of thing that we, we talk a lot about rivalries, right, in a week like this. And, and I think in the end, the thing that makes a rivalry is that you make it important because people have decided it's important. And they decided it was important. So you decide now that it's important. And you ask, is why? It's like, well, because that's the way it is. And so that, to have a connection like that to someone who's 87 years old, I've loved this game and this team my whole life. And then it's like, well, I guess I got to do that too, right? Sometimes, and I love all the things uh, we talked about in the College Football Survivor Show, the things that go into a rivalry. There are so many things, but a lot of it is, it's that way because it's that way. It's self-evident. And it's that way because it's always been that way. And the people before me made that decision. The coaches and the players and the fans previously made the decision that this matters more. So now it matters more to me. And it can be as simple as that. So we have an 87-year-old saying that. And now we have this from the 209. Hey, guys. I just want to let you know my family is having the worst Michigan week ever. My four-month-old had brain surgery today, and my two-year-old hasn't seen her mom in almost 10 days from mom being at the hospital with Sissy. Just know that every time I get a text or listen to a Buckeye Talk pod, it gives me and my tired mind a break and a bit of joy. Thank you guys for working so hard on such a silly thing in the grand scheme of things to bring us our Buckeyes. That's Lane in California. So... That's the other side of this, right? We have an 87-year-old who has uh, loved this his whole life, and we have somebody like Lane who's going through something real with his young family right now. And the thing that I wanted to read those two back-to-back is that uh, Doug and Lane are connected. And you listening to this are connected to an 87-year-old and a young father with a, a child in the hospital. You're connected to them because... You guys care about the same thing. And I think in life, when you care about, when you share a passion, when you care about the same thing, then you care about each other. It's osmosis. It's how the world works. So maybe you don't know Doug or you don't know Lane, but those both those people should know that there are people who, if they came across them, and now even from afar, because of the way our world operates and we can be connected even though we're not together, People care about you guys and people, Lane, people are thinking about you and they are with you because you share passion for Ohio State football. So we're all thinking about Lane. We all want the best for that young family. And and I know we've, we've wound up talking a lot the last couple of weeks about what really matters. It's okay that this game matters so much. It's what makes life fun. Um, but we want a four-month-old in the hospital to get better. So that's what we want, right? We want a great game on Saturday, but we want Lane and his family. We want that four-month-old to be okay. So that's where we're going to put our thoughts and our prayers. And Lane, um, we are with you. Everybody who cares about Ohio State football is with you and your family right now. So thank you for sending that in. And um, that will be front of mind when you guys sit down on Thanksgiving and uh, maybe give a little little nod about what you're thankful for. Um, let's, let's give a nod toward Lane and his family too. And send as much strength to them as we can. This is Ken from Illinois. 
It's here. It's finally here. I'm an old guy born in Ohio, but I live in Illinois. This has been on my bucket list for most of my adult life. I will be at this game. Every two years, I will never go to Ann Arbor. I try to make a plan, but it never came together. I have been to a number of other games, but never the game, I have to admit. I feel a bit angsty, but that is what being a fan is about. You put yourself out there and you hope. If you see two old dudes, I will have my Archer jersey on and my brother will have his number four. I think uh, Rambo from back in the 90s, say hi. It has been a wild ride this year. Let's give these men all of, all of our support for the four plus hours and hope we finish on top. Ken from Illinois. I love that, right? We're being appreciative. We're being thankful for being fans. Um, Ken loves Ohio State his whole life. He's going to the game for the first time. How awesome is that? Ken, have an awesome time. You will have an awesome time. You will have a memorable time no matter what. Um, congratulations on making it happen. This is one of these things like you can get a ticket to Ohio State, Michigan. The tickets are expensive this year. But it is one of those things I do think it's smart to put it on your bucket list. And if you have to say I'm going to save a dollar a day for two years and that's going to be more than $700 and I'm going to hope that when it comes time to buy that Ohio State, Michigan ticket the week of the game, I can get one for $700 on the resale market. I'm going to save a dollar a day for two years. Started on Saturday. They're going to be back in Columbus in 2024. Started on Saturday, save a dollar a day for two years and get yourself to the Ohio State, Michigan game or decide that it's every birthday present and every Christmas present and every Valentine's present that you get for two years. You're going to buy yourself a ticket to the game. We don't all have the resources for that. It is a stretch. And I wish tickets weren't so expensive, but it's the way the market works. And it's the resale market. And the face value is super high too. But if I just think we piddle a lot of us. Not Some of us are really smart about this. And credit to those of us who are. A lot of us piddle money away. A dollar a day for two years, buy yourself a ticket to the game. We'll see in Columbus in two years. I'd try it. I'm, ga- I'm glad Ken made it happen. But if you've never made it happen and you want to, make something happen for yourself. Make a plan. It's a stretch. And if you're not in Columbus, you got to get a plane ticket or you got to be willing to make a long drive. But sometimes you have to make a priority in life and say, well, that's the priority. That's going to happen. And then everything else around it's going to have to adjust. So maybe the thing that's going to happen is in 2024, you're going to the Ohio State-Michigan game. And then the rest of life, can you'll figure it out, but that's number one. I think that's okay. I don't know. You know, not every year. If you can go every year, fantastic. Great for you. I hope you have a great time Saturday. Make a plan. For the 937, it's Joe. I don't have a rant, but a thought. I am excited and nervous for the game for the first time in 20 years. The rivalry had been more of an expectation that Ohio State would roll past Michigan and on the way to a Big Ten title and national title opportunities. Now the game has me consumed with the thirst to see Ohio State take a year's worth of embarrassment and failure and take it out on Michigan. So it's good to be nervous. This is the kind of, we've had versions of this debate of, do you want Michigan to be good or not? But but if Michigan's not good, if you're in the Rich Rodriguez-Brady Hoke era, you get expectation. And I do think the fact that there has been such great expectation for so long with Ohio State to win this game has changed People's thinking. Your thinking has been changed. You view the the rivalry in the game differently because of what happened the previous 20 years. Just like the previous generation viewed it differently because of what happened in the Cooper years. So the Cooper years, the Trestle years, and then the Meyer years, what they did, right? Trestle 9-1, Urban 7-0. 
Those would have been spectacular no matter what, but they were made better because of the Cooper years. Now, any reality in in the years ahead that doesn't include Ohio State winning every year will be made harder and more difficult to stomach by the success of the Trestle and Meyer years. So I think we have to understand when we get trained, because we are we start we all start to assume, and it changes your view. So I think nervous is good. I how fantastic is it? You love this thing, but now you're nervous about it. It's going to make the winning even better. But I just let's all be aware of that. That everybody is a product of and um, you know the the beneficiary or not the beneficiary of what happened before them. So right now, this era of Ohio State football, what happened under Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer was so outstanding and so spectacular and so unusual that it's going to make life a little more difficult going forward. Just let's all be aware because you understand the other side of it. It's not going to go back to the Cooper years. It's not. It's not going to go back to world for Ohio State where they can't win the game. It's not going to be 2-10-1. and one. But I don't know that it's going to be win every game either. So I think this is the world we're in. But as the world where I always say, nervous is good. Nervous is good, but now this one from the 407, I hate the stress of the game. And we're like 18 and 2 in the last 20. So I it I don't know, like it's great to care this much about a game. So I think you have to find a way to love the stress. Because and then we have this. Are you guys, I think almost everybody's relating to versions of these conversations, right? You relate to something along the line here. This is from our guy, Doug DeLillo. I know as Ohio State fans, we are privileged, but I also think part of the privilege is having a rival like Michigan. I think Michigan makes me love the sport and Ohio State more. The agony or euphoria Michigan brings us, whether it be a stunning and soul-searching loss like last year or the sweet feeling of success and eventual relief brought on by games like 2002, 2006, 2016. I feel badly for other sports fans who don't get these moments. I'm trying to remind myself this week to cherish this because the feeling I have right now pregame and even the emotions after a win or loss might be fleeting with the changing college football landscape. It has been a true privilege to love a team the way I love Ohio State and the most cherished and agonizingly memorable moments we have as fans are often shared with that team up north. Go Bucks! I think that is very well said by Doug DeLillo. I think we've talked a lot about we might be at an inflection point in the rivalry. And the idea that a rivalry is a privilege. That's the word that Jim Knowles used this week. I, my question for Jim Knowles, sometimes you just make it nice and short, Buckeye talk. That's actually never, that would never be said on Buckeye talk. I said, what do you think of the rivalry? And I didn't want to lead Jim Knowles anywhere. I think that's the exact phrasing I used. I didn't want to lead him anywhere. I wanted to see what he, what he said. Because you can go anywhere with that. Not born into it, first year in it, and he's in it at the highest stakes. And the word he used was privilege. So I do think if you don't have the emotional tie to it from the outside, you do think it's a privilege because it's rare. It's not normal. So the idea that you're part of this is not because you grew up hating Michigan. It's because this is at the highest level. It's the highest level of competition. It's the highest level of passion. And when you are an outsider to that, I think everybody looks and says, man, that's crazy. That's cool. I wonder what that would be like. And so for Jim Knowles to say it's a privilege to be part of it, I think is a great way to think of it. And I do think, to DeLillo's point, let's make sure that everybody who's had it in their lives all along feels that same privilege. And I do think it's important. This could be the last best version of the game. Man, 
I have not written anything this week. I keep saying things that make me think, man, I should write that. This could be the last best version of the game because we are heading toward a world, I think by 2024. So we'll have next year. We just don't know what next year is going to be like. What if these teams have a couple losses or it's not undefeated versus undefeated next year? It's not 2-3. Then by 2024, you're opening up the idea of them rematching in the Big Ten Championship game in a divisionless world. So for them to be, if they're as good as they are now, they're almost certainly going to play in the title game again. It would be hard to be as good as this and then somehow not have the rematch looming. So this might be the last best version of, man, the last best version of the game. And change is okay. But let's feel the privilege to be a part of this. I certainly felt that my second game I ever was part of was 2006. And I knew that wasn't normal. But I tried to be very aware of like, this is, this is something. So whether you're an insider, the ultimate insider, born in Ohio or Michigan, born into it, born into a family that cares, went to school there, loved it your whole life, whether you're an ultimate insider of the rivalry or whether you're, you came to it from the outside, I think to understand that privilege and cherish, privilege and cherish, last, potentially, the last best version of the game. Let's do that Saturday. Let's all do that Saturday. This is our uh, guy, Greg C74. This is it. This is the week. And this is exactly how we want this week to feel. I have never, will never, won't even consider ever watching a Michigan game and actively cheering or even just in my own head cheering for them to win. Ever. However, rather than them go 0-12, I'd prefer this scenario. 0-12 Michigan would make me smile for 12 weeks in a row, actually, but nothing is better than undefeated Michigan versus undefeated Ohio State. I want every breathing Michigan fan across planet Earth with two eyeballs glued to the screen on Saturday. I want them to believe this is the year. I want them to have their directions to Indianapolis saved in their iPhones. I want them a thousand percent all in with their whole soul so we can stomp the ever living dog snot out of them and drag their butts in and out of the mud over and over for three and a half hours. I want them to feel every horrible shred of bitter, wretched disgust that was my childhood, and I want it for at least 20 more years. No question, maybe not even a rant. I just needed to get that off my chest. I think that's a rant, Greg. I don't I don't think you have to pull your punches on whether that was a rant or not. You said dog snot. Oh my gosh. So... Not that you need a reminder of where we are. I wanted to grab some to set us in a time and place. And it might be a time and place of the last best version of the game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's about trestle ball from the 480. This Michigan team is like the mid-2000s trestle teams with serious flaws under the surface that Ohio State can expose. Great offensive running team, but huge question marks in the quarterback and passing. 
Every game I've seen them play trestle ball, but I'm not sure that one-dimensional offense can push this Ohio State defense around. If J.J. McCarthy has to throw, I don't think he can do it with the outside talent. They have a great front on their D, but I haven't seen anything close to this type of passing game. They haven't seen anything close to this Ohio State passing game. Their corners won't hang with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. Like Doug has said, the running game doesn't matter when you have CJ and NFL receivers. Michigan is physical, but this Ohio State team is mad, motivated, and at home. I think Day does well in these big games, like Clemson, and I think he sends a message. I think that's an interesting comparison. And the idea here, to me, if this is trestle ball, and I think it is a version of it, right? I mean, it's like run game, defense, right? Don't put your... Don't put your defense in a bad spot and like throwing the balls kind of last. And then again, I wasn't around for 02. So we saw trestle ball work at the highest level in 02. But in 06 and 07, there was a cap on it. And it felt like this version of football works to a point. And then when you get to a team with better talent, it's not quite good enough. So if Michigan's trestle ball, then I think it's possible that Ohio State in this version is Florida or LSU or USC in eight and nine, right? Any of those versions where you thought, okay, well, Ohio State's really good. They're really precise, but there's a cap to it. I think there is a cap on Michigan. I think we saw it against Georgia. I just, now maybe they would have a breakthrough game, you know? Maybe they would have a moment. Maybe their moment, man, maybe I should write this. Maybe Michigan's moment, maybe last year's Ohio State-Michigan game was the 0-2 national title game. That was one breakthrough in a very specific kind of way where they had a version of how they do it, but it kind of was maximizing their version of how they do it. And that was it. But is it going to work again and again and again? That trestle version worked in 02, and it was really good. But it didn't get them over the top in 06. It didn't get them over the top in 07. You felt like against USC in 08 and 09, you were a little short on that. Is that where Michigan is now? that it worked once. And in this scenario, again, I'm sure some of you think it's sacrilegious to be describing Michigan in Trestle-esque terms. If Jim Trestle's listening, I'm sure he thinks it's sacrilegious. But wouldn't you rather be Florida or LSU or USC in this scenario? The teams that did those future versions of, of the Trestle era teams couldn't get past, where you felt like they have a little more talent and a little more talent where it matters. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting comparison. And I do think, I just think the idea of thinking about Michigan that way is with, with trestle in mind is not, is not a bad way of going about it. All right. Plan at home. It's a long one. Hey, Doug from the 781. Love the pod. First time texture. Welcome. While it is recognized, I think the factor that isn't being talked about enough. So people see it, but we need to talk about it more is the fact that the game is at home for Ohio state. I look at three perspectives, the Ohio state one, the Michigan one, and the national one. Ohio State. Outside of the Notre Dame game, where who knows how much Jackson Smith and Jigma getting hurt affected their game plan. By the way, I've been talking to people like a lot. It can sound like an excuse after the fact, but like they had some stuff planned. I think the thing we said at the moment that it was like Ted Ginn Jr. in the national title game is against Florida. You lose him and you had built the game plan around him. I think that is an apt comparison for JSN in the Notre Dame game. Anyway, Ohio State this year has put up at least 45 points at home every game and looked way more comfortable on both sides of the ball. The only game they really struggled offensively was Iowa, but they figured it out and still scored 54. That's Ohio State at home. Michigan. Michigan has played three road games this year and struggled in all three. They had a hard time putting away Iowa. They had competitive first halves with Indiana 10-10 and Rutgers 14-17. 
while they pulled away from Indiana and Rutgers, I think it says something about their team that on the road they have a hard time with the bottom of the conference. Michigan hasn't had a challenge remotely close to at Ohio State all year. So I am interested to see how they respond to a hostile environment against a more talented team. And then the last one is this, nationally. If you look around the country, the top teams have struggled on the road. A few examples. Bama, both losses at Tennessee, at LSU. Tennessee, losses at Georgia, out South Carolina. USC, lost at Utah. Long story short, top teams are struggling on the road this year while playing way better at home, which is usually how it goes, but it can't be underestimated how important playing at home is. Michigan has not played particularly well on the road, and this is the biggest challenge they will face. I think that is very well said, very well pointed out. We have talked over the years about how much of a home field advantage Ohio State has. I do think the bigger advantage is Michigan not being at home. And that, like it's, do I think it's that Ohio State is going to have a spectacular home field advantage? Maybe not, but I do think that Michigan not having its home field advantage is really important. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, not giving them that environment of a year ago, I think, is the real issue here. But the idea that it's harder on the road, I don't think you can take it for granted. Listen, uh, Michigan hasn't won in Columbus since 2000. So, I I think it's worth pointing out. Because I do think, I thought I felt it, and I think I've told you guys that, right? Michigan runs on the field in pregame last year, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And you could feel the crowd. The snow was falling, looked like a snow globe, and you just, I thought I felt something there. And I think I would have told you I felt something even if Ohio State then won 80 nothing. I would have said, man, I thought pregame, I felt something. Buckeye talk. So I think, I don't know if Ohio State will feel the same thing, but I think Michigan not feeling it is valuable. And it's less about Ohio State having a great home field advantage and more about Michigan maybe having a tougher time on the road. I think of the three points there. I think that's the one that really stands out to me. That idea that Michigan struggled, kind of struggled in the road in all three games. And if they come out and struggle in the first half, I think Ohio State has a chance to put them behind the eight ball. So I think that's that's really well said. I had sort of leaned into this um, earlier because it is a silly thing, but it's something I want to talk about. It's like one of the only silly things we'll do on this rant spot. From the 614, hey, Doug, I would like you to stress how important this week's game is. Why? I've noticed that you consistently say the word important with a high level of enunciation, more so than any other word, and you do it every time. Where did that come from? Thought it was important to point that out. Go Bucks. So I responded to this person and said, thank you for noticing because it is purposeful, and I do do it for a reason. And then they responded and said, um, Fan of the pod, I love 90% of what you guys do. And I was like, when, just so you know, when you say something, it's very nice to say that. I'm automatically like, what's the 10%? So here's why I say that. I think it's dialectical, and I think it's somewhat generational. And I think the right phrasing is glottal stop. There are people who, when there's a hard consonant in the middle of a word, they don't say the consonant. And the two words that comes up the most for me are important and mountain. And it's that T in the middle. And rather than saying the T, they just sort of stop their phrasing and say, uh. And I think that's called a glottal stop. So listen, and I think it might be generational. My wife and I feel like we hear younger people do that often. And I think there's some people we knew from upstate New York who said that. So 
I would encourage you to listen for it unless, unless listening for it will drive you crazy. But I think a lot of people say important. This is a really important game. And you don't say the T. It's important. It's like a grunt. Mountain. 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 We know a lot of people who say mountain. I went and climbed a mountain. It's a mountain. It's important. So I have overemphasized those T's in the middle of words because I like hard consonants. And I'm not trying to be a dinghole, but I, it is, I think that's how you say the word. And I do think it sounds better. I climbed a mountain. I climbed a mountain. It's an important game. It's an important game. So if someone has noticed, it makes me happy because I have a glottal stop conversation in my head every day. And when I hear people say it, I think, say your tease. But maybe you don't want to live that way. And maybe you just want to be a happy person who's not obsessed with whether or not people say hard consonants in the third syllable of words. But now you can't be anymore because I've made you aware of this. Oh man, it's the week of the game, and I, and I got to talk about glottal stops. Oh, glottal stop is also a tremendous name for like a boat. Oh, glottal stop. He's a podcast host. He's he was worried about how people say things. He's obsessed with glottal stops. Um, let's do this one from the four one nine rant. Why do people feel the need to leak out all the little things Ohio State does in prep for this game? We have uh, college football posts with images of the Wolverine modification of the practice helmets. It's time for war, the Michigan drills, etc. The Beatles manager made them wear suits because everyone told them their music sucked, but at least they could look good doing it. <laughs> I like the comparison. Likewise, we always went into the game with a focused advantage on the little things. I'm always irked how people feel special reporting or commenting on the quirks of the rivalry for some type of status, rather than understanding that stuff is done to win. Not to be cute for your article or post. If there is no advantage in it, then it's wasted. We were never going to lose on focus. Ohio State was never going to lose on the focus game, right? Ohio State was going to be more focused. And now that's gone. Good for Day saying he wasn't going to talk about how they prepare. Ohio State wants to win, not have spirit week. Anyone who leaks from the Woody should be banned from the Woody. That's from the 419. So these little tidbits, I will say a lot of times it's Ohio State doing it. <laughs> Right. Or it's like a Big Ten network access, which I, there was definitely somebody there was. So they they tape up the scout team helmets with blue uh, and yellow tape to make the scout team helmets for Michigan week. And now I'm giving it away. You guys know this. So look like. Michigan helmets and Urban Meyer always talked about the LL Cool J song. It's time for they played that all the time. There's the countdown clock. You know, we've been given tours at the media and the Woody. Sometimes there's a whole Michigan wall and we take pictures of that. They let us in. So the, in the defense of the people who are putting out the information, we put out information that we think is interesting to fans. Ohio State is not hiding it from us. Ohio State is, is putting out there how much they care about the rivalry. But the thing that I've come around on on this is there's a lot of the little tidbits that are there all the time. They all, I mean, that, there was a, that was a thing this week. Here's the image of the Ohio State helmet. And again, it was put out with somebody on the inside. It wasn't like a a regular journalist who went in and got access to like a helmet hanging in the locker room. It was either Ohio State or like somebody with the Big Ten Network or something. But there are so many little tidbits. And whenever you come across one, your initial reaction is, man, that's cool. There's a song they play. There's a, there's a helmet they do. You're like They have the band march on Sunday night, right? And the players play in the band. Earl Bruce used to come in and give a speech. All these little tidbits that are part of Michigan Week. The first time you hear about it, it's really cool. 
and you want to share it and you want to hear it. But then over time, you realize it's mostly the same tidbits all the time. There's very new, very few new tidbits. And then um, you kind of get sick of hearing about them. Or you're like, well, you know, it's just part of what they do. Why are we talking about this? Quit talking about it. But if you're new to it, they are individually are very cool. And like with anything, the reason something, uh, the reason a big thing is cool is because of all the little things. So it's hard to appreciate to talk about the privilege of the rivalry and cherishing the rivalry if you don't have access and information about all the tiny little things that make it great. You know, the student organization going around campus and putting X's, red X's over the M's. That's crazy. It's super cool, right? I never take that for granted. I still have, I want to go around and do it with them. And I, I still have never done it. Um, so the little things make the big thing. That's life. You don't even realize it. It's like, why do you like this great big thing that's so important to you? It's like, well, because there's 17 little things that build up to it. So I, I understand what you're saying, that it's not spirit week, but but that's the game. That's what makes it the game. So I'm, we're not, I don't think we have to shy away from it. I don't think we have to be afraid of it. It, it makes it, it's part of why it's so great. So anyway, uh, let's do this from the 304. Hey, Doug, happy Thanksgiving. Happy game week. As game day looms, I continually think about how awesome a 3.30 kick would be. I understand the rivalry tradition for the game is to play the game at noon. I just think the extra time would help the already awesome environment become even greater. I'm not asking for the game to be played at 3.30 every year, possibly just top top 10 or undefeated matchups. I know the traditionists will be against this, but in the soon-to-be future where we could see these teams play twice in two weeks, traditions are about to be slightly different. Anywho, not too upset about it, just ranting and excited for this epic game. Go Bucks. So I agree with that also, right? The big thing that I think everybody is on alert for is like, would they ever move it tonight? And that would be a bit of a bridge too far, I think, for a lot of people. Um, they did move it back a little bit, right, in 06 because it was so big. It's just what the TV networks want. The world that we're entering next year where it's going to be three big main TV partners, Fox, NBC, and CBS. Fox is going to have noon. CBS is going to have 3.30. NBC is going to have 8. My assumption, just like Fox had the greater share uh, in this current TV deal with ESPN, which is the result is Fox has had the Ohio State-Michigan game every year in this TV deal, and they want their game at noon. My assumption is Fox is going to have the edge and will continue to have the Ohio State-Michigan game every year and years going forward, and they have decided their best game is at noon. So it's all about the TV networks and what the TV networks want, and the thing is, the TV network that has Ohio State-Michigan wants it at noon. We had always thought, well, they have the Big Ten Championship game on Fox at 8. Would they ever want Ohio State-Michigan at 8? They have decided big noon Fox Foxy day, whatever it's called, big noon kickoff is their thing. If they had decided, I, I really think if Fox had decided big noon 3.30, no, big 3.30 kickoff, big 3.30, it's the big 3.30 on Fox. If they had decided that, I really think Ohio State Michigan would have moved by now because that's their thing. That's, that's the main thing of this contract. It's the number one thing. So until that happens, until the network that has dibs on the game and is paying buku bucks for it, once it at 3.30, it's not moving. And then the other thing is, if that network would want it at eight, I think the schools would be resistant to that for now. Maybe there will be a world they'd come around on it eventually, but I think, but they would, I don't think they'd be super resistant to 330. I don't think they'd fight it if that's what the network wanted, but that's not what they want. Is a 330 game better? Build up, right? It gives you time for build up, but I kind of like being like, let's go. Like it's, it's the beginning. It's like, we're not messing around. 
I kind of like we're not messing around. It's the game of the day. Bang, here it is. So I think, as you said, it's not a huge deal. It's not the number one thing, but I do think it's interesting to talk about. So uh, worth mentioning. All right, this is another quick one from the 567. Oh, I've been waiting for this one. I was right and you were wrong, all caps. Again, not something you usually hear on Buckeye Talk, unless it's coming from the outside. My rant is directed towards you, Doug. On August 23rd, you did the Michigan preview pod. On that episode, myself and a handful of other texters correctly, all caps, predicted the team up north to be 11-0 going into the game. Check the 39-minute mark for reference. I do want to give you some credit, thank you, because you weren't at all dismissive of the idea, and you did consider it as a possibility, but you still picked against it. So I want to hold you accountable. Actually, if I'm being honest, what I really want is credit, Buckeye Talk, and acknowledge for correct an acknowledgement for correctly pricking this uh, top five matchup. With love, as always, Anthony from Finley. So if you guys want to go back to the August 23rd Michigan preview uh, and reference that, you have earned the right to do so. Michigan is better than I expected. I did expect kind of a step back, but they replaced both coordinators, kept the culture, kept the scheme, which is super important. You move the people in and out, but you kept how you do it. You kept what you're about. That's really difficult to do. The defense, to Jim Harbaugh's credit, he said, I think this defense can be better. Sometimes when the stars leave, other guys step up. I don't think it's better, but it's still very good. It's still very good. And with Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards, they've kept that one-two punch in the run game. They had last year with Hassan Haskins and Blake Corm, and their offensive line has played really well. And J.J. McCarthy isn't a great quarterback right now, but he's a little more dynamic than Cade McNamara, especially with the way he moves around. And so credit to Michigan. I, I didn't think they'd do it. I did think Ohio State would do it. I mean, a lot of us had that. I had Ohio State 11-0 at this point. I did not have a Michigan at 11-0. So congratulations. Uh, congratulations to that. Well done. I will give you uh, some credit for that, right? Is that enough? That was enough credit. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm glad you were right. I'm glad you were right. From the 419, my rant has been bothering me for a while. Paris Johnson is the most athletic, most skilled, and most upside offensive tackle I have seen since Orlando Pace. He is going to get one season at left tackle and get drafted in the top 10 picks. No All-American status, no All-Big Ten first-team status, no Outland, no Buckeye Grove. Imagine if this uh, was his second-year left tackle. I believe all the things above would be achieved. We were robbed by this coaching staff, Wes K. So this is like we first guessed this, right? We kind of said this a year ago. And the odd thing that happened was that we thought they were going to do it a certain way. Uh, and have Thayer Munford at left tackle and Nicholas Petit-Frere at right tackle a year ago. And then they moved that, and they moved Munford inside, Petit-Frere to left tackle, and Munford to right tackle, Dewan Jones to right tackle. And they made an adjustment for Dewan Jones because he showed he was one of the five best guys, and he can't play inside. But they didn't make an adjustment for Paris. And so was that a mistake? I do think it's possible that Paris... In the end, he hasn't given up a sack this year. I do think he might have been a little better at one of the tackle spots for the pass protection a year ago in the Michigan game, and that may have actually helped the team. Uh, I do think it's one of the reasons I, I like those two guys this year in pass protection. I just the tackles last year were maybe just a little bit better in the run game than they were at pass protection. They were still both very good. And Petit Frere getting drafted and then playing right away in the NFL has shown that. But... It was a little bit odd that they adjusted for 
not, I mean, the lesser guys, the lesser talented guys, because Paris is the most talented guy on the offensive line. And they were like, you're so talented, play out of position. So will you look back on that with regret? I think individually with Paris, we talked about it all year. He was sacrificing for the team. So I think from an individual standpoint, I think Wes is on it. I do think, I think Paris has a chance to be first team, all big 10. I, I don't know. Fashanu from Penn State and Skaronsky from Northwestern are both really good, and Paris is really good. Those are the three best tackles. Would would there be a world where like Ohio State's maybe the Big Ten champ and their left tackle loses out to the Penn State guy and the Northwestern guy? I guess it's possible. I mean, I think it's possible, but if I had to guess, my guess is Paris will be first team All Big Ten. He's not going to be first team All American though, because I think it's hard to do that in position and I never played, and he's not going to win an individual award. So. Point taken, Wes. We knew it was happening. I, they're kind of maybe, maybe there just wasn't a way around it, or maybe you say the best guy's playing at his best spot, and we'll figure everything else out. Everything else is second, but the first thing is Paris Johnson's our left tackle because that's where he's best, and he is our best left tackle. And then if someone else has to play out of position, so be it. I, I don't think that would have been an unreasonable way to do it either. I don't think it was completely unreasonable to do it the way they did it. Hey, you're the best guy. You're so skilled, you'll be fine at guard, and you'll get your turn at left tackle. But it, it did come at a cost. It did come at a cost. This is a quickie, kind of off topic a little bit. From the 419, Doug Ivarant. As a loyal listener of the College Football Survivor Show, ugh, warms my heart. If you guys don't know it, the College Football Survivor Show, it's the national college football show that I host with Shahan Haraja. We do one free show every week, and then we do a show for Apple Podcast subscribers where you get three of those. A mo- uh, four of those a month for two ninety nine, so it's seventy five cents an episode to get that bonus episode. We look at the playoff. We talk playoff all year. So guess what? We talk a lot of Ohio State because Ohio State's in the playoff mix. We did our on our the show this week, the free show. It's an Ohio State Michigan breakdown and it's a USC Notre Dame breakdown. And we talk about sort of who's up as the fifth team because the top four teams, if they win out, will be Georgia, the Ohio State Michigan winner, TCU, and USC. If somebody slips up, who would slide into the playoff as a team that'd be in the fifth spot? Is it more the Ohio State-Michigan winner? Is it Clemson? We talk about that, but we dig in on those two games, make our picks for the games. And then the Apple Podcast Show, we did the five best rivalries of the playoff era. And Ohio State is involved. But this is the complaint from the 419. Stop giving out spoilers for the College Football Survivor Show on Buckeye Talk. It's great to say, hey, here's what we talked about. We ranked the teams by best mascot or whatever. But then don't spoil it by saying, and we ranked Brutus second behind the Stanford tree. I love that example, by the way. Whenever you start talking about the Survivor Show's topic, I always skip ahead to avoid spoilers. Tease us, but don't give us the answer, or you evaporate the intrigue. Grr, it's such a letdown to then go listen to the pod later, already knowing the final outcome just because I saved it for a slow day from the 419. I'll stop doing it. I, I really have been trying to tease people to that show, and so I think sometimes I'm almost like giving away the answer to make it like, this is what you're missing, rather than, hey... Go try it, and you'll find out something interesting. I do think I've been doing it the wrong way, Buckeye Talk. So thanks for the tip. I will stop spoiling the Survivor Show. Let's talk about delay of game. People are riled up about this, and it's okay to be riled up. From the 339, hey, Doug, it's Tim from Massachusetts. First time ranter, but I've been a subscriber all year. Thanks, Tim. 
What the heck is going on with the delay of game penalties? Are we to believe that with all the coaches, assistant coaches, and assistants to the assistant coaches on that sideline, that we could not find one person to watch the play clock? All those different colored shirts, blue, green, etc. Please assign someone this job. Phew! Thanks. Love all you guys are doing. Keep it up. Thanks to Tim in Massachusetts. From the 440. Why doesn't Ryan Day ever take a timeout to avoid a delay of game penalty? And last one, uh, it's Tim and Hilliard. Nothing about this team irritates me more than the delay of game. Either Day needs to get the play in faster or Stroud needs to learn to actually look up at the clock. They both seem to lack awareness in key moments getting the team off schedule. So Ryan Day talked about this after the game. He said he thought actually it was a little bit of a quick start on the play clock for some of them, which might be a thing. But I do think the thing, and like they're aware of it now, right? Like pre-snap penalties, there's nothing more that drives anybody nuts, fans or coaches, than pre-snap penalties because – it's freebie. It's five yards. So that's delay of game. That's false start. Um, it's not in the heat of the moment. It's not the highest level of competition. It's not violence. It's not you're in the midst of a battle and sometimes you overextend yourself. It's like you just screwed up while you were standing there. So Ryan Day has sort of admitted this, that, and he did it more sort of like in terms of, I think, play calling in the red zone. But I do think Ryan Day and CJ Stroud are both really smart. And so sometimes I think what is happening is both of them are having trouble getting themselves to stop diagnosing and get to the play. And Ryan Day has talked about sometimes you want to get to the perfect play and you know you're not in it. And so you want to check to it. But at some point you are muddying the waters and you are better off going with a pretty good play in a timely manner rather than trying to get to the perfect play and getting yourself rushed and up against the play clock. And I think CJ might also do the same thing. Now, I do think sometimes if you have a, if you have a delay of game problem, I think it comes from two different directions. One can be like lack of awareness, like, duh, 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 I can't figure out what to call. Oh, look, I don't even know the play clock is ticking, right? That you're not smart enough, that there's a lack there, the lack is keeping you from getting the playoff because there's not enough urgency, because you're confused, because you're not precise. Or I think you can be slow because you're too much and you're trying to do too much and you're trying to think and think and think and think and think and think. And I think that's where they are. So you have a quarterback and a head coach play caller who are like that. And I think they're aware of it. And I am I would bet they have talked about it this week. And sometimes when you have very specific mistakes like that the week before, that is something you work on and make sure we don't let this happen. And I do think they will live with good play calls rather than trying to get to the perfect play call. And I do think Ryan Day and CJ Stroud together, as smart as they are, can't overthink it. Because in the end, your guys are better. You have Paris Johnson. You have Emeka Buka. You have Marvin Harrison Jr. You have Donovan Jackson. It's okay to let it rip, even if the play's not perfect. And if it's terrible, take a timeout. But if you're just trying to get from okay or good to better, maybe relax. Now, you don't want to make a mistake, but I do think that's something to think about. And I am, I would almost guarantee, this. I haven't had a conversation about it, but I would almost guarantee that's the kind of, I have had conversations about the other things with people. Um, I would think they're thinking about that this week because you're frustrated, they're frustrated. You can't have it. You can't have it. All right, we'll do a few more things uh, that we'll get into next about Ohio State, Michigan. You're listening to Buckeye Talk Rants. 
All right, back on Buckeye Talk Rants to wrap this up. If you want to be a tech subscriber, get to be part of this. Send in rants, uh, send in questions that Nathan and Steve and I will do on a rapid fire that I think we're probably going to put up later on Wednesday. Uh, probably by Wednesday evening, you'll have that. Um, we'd love to have you. Information before, during, and after the game on Saturday. If Ohio State wins, on to the Big Ten Championship game. Text in a lot of info about that. It's free for two weeks, 614-350-3315. I do like it. Listen, you guys who have been with us from the start, listen to Buckeye Talk since 2015, back before it was called Buckeye Talk, like ridiculous. Your loyalty, unbelievable. In Thanksgiving week, like incredibly thankful for that, for sure. Um, those of you who have been tech subscribers for a long time, three years now? I don't even know when we started. Hugely thankful for that and never take any of that for granted. And and, and you guys, uh, the people who have been around for a long time, I, I, I you know, we know who some of you are. Um, we're grateful you're here. Uh, but man, it also really fires me up. And it's been happening because I think maybe some people are jumping on because it's like, here we go. It's go time for the season. When people send it and say, first time, first time ranter, just join the texts. Been listening to the pod, but never sent in before, right? Love it. Oh, I love it. And I wish I could get to all of you and I can't. You should see the, the things that I've pulled, uh, things I have pulled. We're going to get to as much as we can. So anyway, we're thankful for you guys. Thanks for making Buckeye Talk and the tech subscription part of your week. We hope you have a tremendous, busy, awesome, fun, family and friends filled week that you will remember for a long time. It's a great week. It's a busy week. It's good to be busy. Let's do this. Tim Wilton, Tim Walton, Izzy Bill Davis from the 248. Hi, Doug. Rant from Ray in Northwest Ohio. Should we be concerned that Tim Walton may be another Billy Davis? So Tim Walton came from the NFL, is the new cornerbacks coach. Bill Davis is one of the Ohio State assistants that I was the toughest on in his time here, two years. Was an NFL guy who came and coached linebackers, and he knew it. In the end, he knew it. He was not a fit here. He's the Arizona Cardinals linebackers coach now. He's been that ever since he left Ohio State. I think it's a worthy thing to be on alert for because when a guy has spent his life in the NFL, he knows football. I don't think you doubt that a ton, right? He knows football, but it doesn't mean he's great. He's the right guy to coach college stage players. The difference is Bill Davis literally had never coached in college. He was a GA for one year and then was literally in the NFL his entire life for almost three decades. He's been three decades now. It was almost three decades, like 25 years in the NFL when Urban Meyer hired him because he couldn't get another job. And he had never done it. He had never recruited, had never developed college-age players. And it wasn't a fit for him. He wasn't good at it. And it's why I was on him from the jump. Tim Walton has more of a background in college, grad assistant at Bowling Green. Then he was a regular coach at Bowling Green for four years. Then he was a coach at Memphis for two years, at Syracuse for a year, at LSU for a year, at Miami for three years, back at Memphis, and then he went to the NFL. So he had been in the NFL for the previous 13 years before Ohio State hired him. But unlike Bill Davids, it's not like he had never done it. It's not like he had never recruited and developed teenagers. So I do think that is a, a major difference. But he also was more of an NFL guy. You know, when Jeff Halfley and Ryan Day came back from the NFL, and, and they want to be called 
NFL guys when it's advantageous and they want to be called college guys when it's advantageous. When you're talking about scheme, then they're happy to be NFL guys because it's higher level scheme. You devote yourself to football 24 hours a day because you're not worried about recruiting and that kind of thing. And they want to be like, yeah, 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 no, we got our, they say it, we got our graduate degree in the NFL. But if you try to cast either Jeff Halfley when he came here as Ryan Day's defensive coordinator or Ryan Day when he came here initially as the offensive coordinator and then was the head coach, if you try to act like they're NFL guys, they'll be like, no, 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 no. We're college guys who were in the NFL for a little bit. Tim Walton was in the NFL longer than them. I think it's worth being on alert for. The corner play has been a little goofy this year. Injuries are a big part of it, right? Jordan Hancock, Denzel Burke, Cam Brown have all dealt with injuries. Are they playing a little bit better now? Yeah, certainly seems like it. Have they maybe worked through the roughest part of it and come out the other side? Very possible. If that happens, does their coach get some credit for that? Absolutely. And if it doesn't happen and the corners don't play to the Ohio State standard, does the coach deserve criticism for that? Absolutely. So I think it's worth being alert for. It's such an interesting contrast because Kerry Combs was the opposite. Kerry Combs was a guy who came up. Now, listen, he was in the NFL, too, before he came back to Ohio State to be the, the defensive coordinator. But he was a high school head coach, as we all know, and then came up to Ohio State. That's when he did his best work, recruiting and developing corners. And we know that run. And Kerry Combs came from high school. So now Tim Walton, can he put together that standard of recruiting and developing corners coming down? On alert. I think a good staff. I think it's good. I mean, Ohio State, they hired Kerry Combs and Tim Hinton for Urban Meyer's first staff. Guys who had been in college but really made their bones as excellent, excellent head coaches in Ohio high school football. I think it's really interesting the guys to have guys on staff like that. I also think it's great. And you probably need to have NFL. Like real NFL stuff, right? Whether it's Tim Walton, whether it's Brian Hartline who played in the league, Ryan Day who'd been there, right? I think that's really helpful. And then you have some college lifers. I think a mix is good, but it is a contrast. So not at all, not at all there with Tim Walton, but seems like a fine fella. Are we on alert based on the corner play at times this year and based on the background? Yes. Yes, we are. I think it's something uh, to be aware of. All right. This we we had our friend Jimmy Watkins, our rivalry writer. On the pod the other day, rapid fire. It's day two of Jimmy's new job, Jimmy Watkins at Cleveland.com. Is he already tired of Doug's talking? Just kidding. Love Doug's insight and musings. But actually, though, is he? Eyes emoji if your server can't accept emojis. Yeah, I got the eyes emoji, 614. I got it. And eventually, I think it's one of those things at Cleveland.com. It's not that you aren't sick of my talking. It's that you come to accept it. If you want to work with me, it's kind of part of the deal. And uh, young James, I'm sure, is going to find that out uh, sooner than later. Let's do this, sort of how the game's going to play out from the 614. I have not been overly impressed by Ohio State or Michigan in recent weeks. Both have flaws and are vulnerable. Also, I don't think either is playing their best football right now. The game could go either way. I truly believe Ohio State is the better team and should win decisively, but the Buckeyes' offense has been incredibly inconsistent since returning from the bye week, also starting to feel a little queasy about the defense. Lots of missed tackles in recent games, and they seem to have trouble containing mobile quarterbacks. Now, on the other side of things, against Michigan, the Bucks must come out fast and score touchdowns early and often like against Wisconsin. Um, 
We'll even give Michigan a pick six if the Buckeyes get seven touchdowns. They simply can't afford a slow start like they had against Iowa, Penn State, and Maryland. Defense needs to hold Michigan to 200 yards or less rushing. That's a big ask. While I don't fear J.J. McCarthy passing, he is athletic and elusive in the pocket, which the Buckeye defense has had trouble with. He could hurt them with runs. The Buckeyes could win 38-20 or lose 28-24. Depends if the Buckeyes can come out and play its game and not let Michigan bully them. Time for C.J. to step up and follow in the footsteps of Troy Smith and Dwayne Haskins and have a huge game against Michigan. If you... uh, if you want it, you got to go get it on Saturday. So I like when people share like how they think the game is going to play out. Because I know you guys all have ideas about that in your head. Uh, I do think being wary of McCarthy's athleticism is important. There's some stuff that I say that Nathan and Steve and I are going to get in together more uh, on the rapid fire that I wanted to save it for some of their um, some of their discussion as well. So that's important. But I just wanted to do at least one where it's like you're, you're kind of talking it out because I think that's fun. All right. Let's do a little bit of a weather question, which is like this person hates weather talk from the 440. New tech subscriber and first time rancher. Welcome. This one has been brewing for a long time. I am so sick and tired of these Ohio State can't play in poor weather discussions. Even people like Joel Klatt and the national media are talking about it. It's nonsense. Michigan didn't expose any weaknesses against Ohio State last year that didn't exist in all weather conditions. It was warm and sunny against Oregon and Utah. Our rush defense wasn't any better in those games. Our short yardage run offense wasn't any better in those games. Our red zone offense wasn't any better in those games. CJ still threw for 400 yards, and our receivers still had great games. The weather had nothing to do with it. High winds would be a problem, but rain or snow doesn't concern me at all. Part of me actually hopes it rains or snows Saturday so that when we kick the crap out of Michigan, we can finally put that stupid narrative to rest for good. So I think there's a lot of... I think there's a lot to this this rant, right? I, I do think it's probably gone too far. Uh, it was snowing, right? It makes for a pretty picture. Michigan, I don't think Ohio State lost because of the weather last year. I don't. I do think the Ohio State-Northwestern game was weather-related, and I think the important discussion is, as Ryan Day said, the Northwestern game wasn't bad weather. It was extreme. As long as they're not in extreme weather, and it really is wind, as long as it's not something that prevents you from throwing the ball normally, the ball is being blown off course by the weather. Or it's a snowstorm and you can't grip the ball. It's a blizzard, a literal blizzard. Then I think you're fine. And so I do think, right, it really was about the defense last year. And the thing that stands out is that third and two short yardage stop in the second half, right? That's the thing that really stands out to people. And then the defense generally. So I I do think you're mostly right. I do think people have fallen into the weather narrative too much when it actually is, a wind narrative, double-checking the weather right now for Columbus on Saturday. Partly cloudy early, followed by increasing clouds with showers developing later in the day. High of 51, so it won't be cold. Winds 5 to 10 miles per hour, so that's not 35 to 40 miles per hour. Chance of rain 40% during the day on Saturday. So I think like if it rains a little bit, I think they're fine. I, I don't think that's an issue for them. It's not going to be a blizzard. It doesn't sound like it's going to be a windstorm. So... Um, I, I do think you're kind of right. I do think probably that has gone too far with like general, like, ah, if it's cold and a little bit snowy or rainy, Ohio State's going to have trouble. I, I think they kind of sort of are who they are. <clears throat> it was funny. It's a, a lot of the stuff with Ohio State. Somebody was asking about home field advantage on, on Tuesday. And they were talking about, oh, you haven't lost. Ohio State hasn't lost a Big Ten home game since 2015. And like, well, I might just be because Ohio State's good. It's like, yes, that, that is what it is. Like, because if you say like, oh, you haven't lost, Ohio State hasn't lost a home, a Big Ten home game since 2015. It's like, well, how many, how many Big Ten games have they lost since 2015? 
Like what? Like they lost the block kick game in 2016 at Penn State. They lost the Purdue game on the road, right in 28 in 2018. They lost the Iowa game in 2017. But like at home, it's just they're like they're better. They're better than everybody. And a lot of what Ohio State does, you can talk about where it's played or what the weather is. Most of it is about Ohio State being good. And whether the thing they are good at, are they good at the thing they're good at that day? And that's mostly it. And you can talk about almost anything else. Jersey color. And whether it's a day game or a night game. And maybe there's a coincidental fact that falls into that. But it's mostly about the football. Honestly. Because I do think sometimes when your football, their football is usually so much better than everybody else. It's just about the football. And and sometimes when it's like a lot of, you know, equal things otherwise, then like the time of the game and the weather and uh, home or road matters a lot more. And I just think sometimes it doesn't matter all that much from Ohio State. And sometimes when we end up talking about it, it might be a coincidental stat. But again, it's the thing I always say about like these non-conference games. They lose them at home. Why? It's like, do they lose them because they're at home? No, it's because they lose them because they're finally playing teams who have close to their talent. And they're not going to always beat everybody all the time. So anyway, I think we do talk about it uh, too much sometimes. Okay, let's do some Ryan Day stuff because I think this is important to talk out before we get to this game on Saturday. From the 872. I don't know if this is a rant, but I can't imagine Ryan Day ever coaching a more career-defining game at Ohio State. If he goes to Ann Arbor next year underwater for his career against Michigan and Harbaugh, because right now he's 1-1, one one, he's 1-2, one his seat will be en fuego while he relies on a first-year starter to keep the seat of power from officially shifting the Big Ten, first-year starter quarterback. Can Day, my favorite Ohio State football coach, avoid outsmarting himself with his play calling and game management, or will he double down on those mistakes under the stress of the game? I think he'll rise to the occasion, but unlike last year when the Michigan beatdown really shouldn't have been a shocker in retrospect, Ohio State's defense was weak and Michigan had to win, Ohio State should be the better team this time. Michigan still seems one-dimensional offensively, albeit with two great, if healthy, backs, while Ohio State has hugely improved defensively. That puts it on Day. And it all starts with who he starts at running back and whether he stops outsmarting himself by needlessly attempting to stay one step ahead of the opponent when it hasn't shown it can stop what's already working. Mark Harper in Chicago. I think that is well said. And it's one of these, I think I could read some of these to Ryan Day and he would have probably like nod his head along as I was reading them. From the 4-2-3, Ohio State is going to crush Michigan this Saturday, and this is why. After a loss, Ryan Day takes opponents way more seriously and knows how to prepare for a second meeting with the same team. It happened with Clemson. It will happen with Michigan this week. Unfortunately, Ryan Day needs to lose to learn a lesson because he is stubborn to make quick adjustments during the game. Sometimes you don't have a chance to meet the same team the second time like playing Alabama again. That's from the 4-2-3. I did bring this up in a question to Ryan Day on Tuesday. He's lost four games. We've talked about the Clemson thing. One of the texters brought it up a long time ago, and I think you and I, you know, we together have talked about this a lot. Um, Clemson is the best comparison. To lose to Clemson in 2019 and then get that revenge in 2020, that's like, I don't think that's a, I think that's an applicable conversation here. Now, and I asked Ryan Day about that specifically, and he was sort of like, you know, I don't know. Because like you didn't, you didn't know in that circumstance if you were going to get a chance to play him. But he said it's kind of all about the focus here. But as a reminder, under Ryan Day, Ohio State has lost four games in four seasons. 2019, they lost to Clemson in the semifinal. 2020, they lost to Alabama in the national title game. Uh, 
2021, they lost to Oregon and Michigan during the regular season. So they have, did not play Oregon and Alabama again. They did play Clemson again and got them, and now they have this chance against Michigan. So I do think the intangible attitude about that, about having a thing that motivates you the whole year, and then you get your opportunity, and how do you take advantage of that opportunity? Do you play your best in that moment? I think that's applicable here with the Clemson thing. So whatever they did, motivationally, intangibly, schematically, what they learned on the field, how they motivated themselves off the field from the Clemson loss, I think we have proof that it was successful. So I think that applies here. It doesn't, I mean, I guess you can't apply it to the players, but you can apply it to the program and you can apply it to the people at the top of it. So I I do think that is a real thing here. Um, And so I I do think there is a pretty big intangible part of this. I thought there was a big intangible part last year and Michigan kind of overcame its past, you know, sort of inability to handle the intangible side of the game. And they did figure it out. And, you know, when you have Aiden Hutchinson, that really helps. But I, I do think that's a big part of it. But I, I think there's reason to believe that it it might, Ohio State might be in a good spot from that standpoint going into Saturday. From the 312, my rant is in response to something you said on the pod this week about Ohio State fans texting you during the Maryland game, losing their minds, and calling for you to really go after Ryan Day in the press conference. For context, I am a lifelong Ohio State fanatic that lives and breathes it every day to a point that some might say it's a problem. I've been going to games since I was a kid, worked in the athletic department for several years after college, and still work in sports to this day. But what I've never understood is how quickly our fan base is, how quickly our fan base goes after a coach or questions a call, or doesn't appreciate the luxury it is to be an Ohio State football fan. When you have surgery, do you tell the surgeon that they are doing it wrong? When you eat at a great restaurant, do you tell the chef that his recipes suck? Well, sometimes. When you watch a movie, do you tweet that the director should have used one actress instead of another? I guess I've never understood what makes people think that they are better equipped and qualified to make a football decision than people at the top of the mountain in their chosen profession. Mountain. Do you really think you are smarter than Ryan Day and the staff when it comes to coaching this team? Insanity. Enjoy the ride. Trust the experts that have gotten this team to 11-0 and have been doing this for 20 years. You can be a super fan and rational at the same time. That's Dan from the 312. So this is built into sports. I do think it's okay, right? I mean, there are times when coaches are bad. I mean, I'm, you know, Kevin Stefanski knows more about football than me. I'm all over Kevin Stefanski and the Browns this year. Because I think from the outside, it's not that I think I'm smarter than you. It's that I think you're not rising to the standard of the situation that you're in. And I think there are many other people in your profession who would be doing better at what you're doing. So I don't think it's irrational to question coaches. It's part of fandom. I do think we've learned over the years, and social media has really helped us with this, all fans get, their fans get really mad during the game. And when one thing goes wrong, you can go off the deep end of like, that's it. And that's, again, that's acceptable. That's, I mean, that's the way fandom works for a lot of people, and that's fine. But I do think overall, I don't think there's like a great like distrust or a reason to not believe in the coaching staff. I think it's reasonable to ask them about play calling, to ask them about decisions, to ask them about the way they motivate their team, to put them on a spot to explain themselves. You're at the highest level. Are you performing at the highest level? I think that's acceptable. But my main thing here is we talk out Ryan Day, which we, we needed to do on this podcast, is I don't think they're poorly coached. I do think the Browns are poorly coached this year. And it's about the standard of your talent. Are you maximizing the standard of your talent? The Browns are three and seven. Should they be seven and three? No, but I think they've lost close. They've lost in blowouts. They don't seem like they have within a game, the gumption to rise up and stop bad things from happening. And schematically, 
they always start well and then they don't make adjustments during the game and, and things get away from them. So I think I, I can point to real things in the performance that lead me to have questions about how they're coached and how they're led and how they're motivated. Ohio State, there's some stuff with the play calling that people certainly have had questions about. I, I don't think you would point to the things that Ohio State has done and feel like it's incompetent. I think the Browns at times this, this year have looked incompetent. So if if at times maybe I haven't gone after this Ohio State coaching staff this year, it's like, I, th- I really, I think you've heard me say it. I really do think a lot of it is like they've just been working it out. And in the end, they worked it out enough to win. And I think that, I think there's some comparison between the way they worked it out in the Penn State game and they were trying to run. And then at the end, they took the field with nine and a half minutes left. They were down. They threw two quick passes and then hit a run up the middle. And all of a sudden they were ahead. And then they relied on their defense and they hit a couple more throws, whatever. And here they are. I think that's a microcosm potentially of the season. That the first three quarters of the Penn State game are the first 11 games of this season. And now the Michigan game is the fourth quarter. And They've been working it out, but also now it's go time with what they do best. And that's where I am with this team. And I do think you should be allowed to work things out as long as it's not making you lose while you're working it out, especially if you have some respect for the opponent. It's not always going to be dominant every second. So I do let my overall, sometimes you have to put people on the spot, even if you think they're doing an okay job, because you see how you have to see how they respond on behalf of other people who maybe disagree with my opinion. And again, it's not about my opinion when you're in there asking questions. It's about representing what people are thinking and talking about who care about the team. You have to represent their opinion. But I don't know that anybody really rationally is at the, like, go after this coaching staff. Hard point. So we've asked, but I haven't, I wouldn't say I've gone after them, and, and that's why. And that's where I am. I think this is, I think they're taking the field in the fourth quarter of the Penn State game. That's where they are. They're getting ready to do that Saturday. And will they be able to work it out? My assumption is yes. From the 312, is it just me? Or is Ryan Day getting way too much hate from the fan base this year? Maybe my perception is skewed and I'm only seeing the negative from Twitter, message boards, and whatever. But for one, I am so glad Ryan Day is Ohio State's head coach. It doesn't mean he's exempt from criticism around some of the play calling and decision making. But look at the dude's record. Look at his offenses when they're fully healthy. Yeah. Last year stunk as a fan for those two losses. But guess who is irrelevant this year because of their losses? Ala frickin' Bama. And guess who is 11-0 going into the game and in control of their own destiny? Ohio State. For my part, I would take a Ryan Day coach to Ohio State over an Urban Meyer coach to Ohio State probably 90 out of 100 times. We need to appreciate this guy while we have him. Disclaimer, this is not Ryan Day. Just a longtime fan who gets annoyed with other Buckeye fans sometimes. Anyway, who cares? Go Bucks from the 312. Good text. One other thing to add to my rant. Oh, this 312 person added this. Look at who else needs a lot of help to make the playoff this year. The Clemson stinking weasels. We've done so much compared, so much comparison of Ohio State to Bama and Clemson the past few years, and rightfully so. But look who has their program in the best position to make the playoff. The answer is not Saban. The answer is not the weasel Dabo. It's Ryan stinking day. And that's even with how injury plagued they've been this year. I do think that is a really good point because... You, you, in a moment, compare a team to a specific team, and then as soon as they maybe beat out, like have a better year than that specific team, you compare that team to the next team that's rising up, and it's like, well, how come they aren't as good as them? So I do think it is a step back, really smart way of saying, 
In this individual year, does this mean Ohio State's a better program than Bama? No. But in this individual year, Alabama and Clemson have been the dominant teams of the playoff era. And Ohio State's been that third team. And right now, who's in the better position? They're winning the Bama-Clemson fight this year. They've won it. They've won it. Because Ohio State, I think, gets in ahead of Clemson. If Ohio State loses, I think they're in the playoff ahead of Clemson. They've won the Bama-Clemson fight. It just so happens now they're in another fight. Now they're in a Michigan fight. Before they were winning the Michigan fight so much that we moved on to the Clemson-Bama fighters. Like, ah, well, the Michigan fight, it matters, but they always win it. So let's go Clemson-Bama. Oh, now they lose the Clemson-Bama fight. Man, they're losing the fights. Well, now they've won the Clemson-Bama fight, but it's like, oh man, the Michigan fight. They lost the Michigan fight last year. Who cares about the Clemson-Bama fight? Well, they won the Clemson-Bama fight this year, but now they have to win the Michigan fight again. And then by the way, now they have to go win the Georgia fight. Well, nobody was worried about Georgia when we were comparing Ohio State to Bama and Clemson. There is the thing of like trying to be number one all the time, but when the teams at the top change, it's not just like, I, I do think it's an interesting way to look at it. It's not an excuse, but I do think bringing as much, we've done it more here than anywhere. I don't think anybody talks about Ohio State in the context of Clemson and Bama. Does that beat Bama? Does that beat Bama as like my approach to covering Ohio State since I got here? At least like I, I got here a couple of years before Saban got to Bama. That's my approach since 08, since 09. That's my approach to everything I do. Ohio State, does that beat Bama? This year, the answer is yes. But it turns out that's not the question. Now the question is, does that beat Michigan? Credit to Michigan. So I, I just think it's an interesting way to look at it. Thank you for texting that. I think it helps us understand things, right? Okay. This is uh, a last thing about Ryan Day. From the 307, I would love to hear uh, you discuss, does Ryan Day already have a planned response to the third base comment, assuming Ohio State wins? And what do you think Ryan Day's planned response to that comment is? So if I get to it, our plan is for me to write fake pregame speeches for Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh this week, put them on the site, because I like doing that kind of thing. And my fake Ryan Day speech is very much about the third base comment. And my fake Ryan Day speech is going to begin with something like, "Where this is Ryan Day in front of the team. Where were you born? Zach Harrison, where were you born? Lathan Ransom, where were you born? CJ Stroud, where were you born? This moment isn't about where you're born. Wherever we're born, being born does not get you to this moment. Being born in life is your start. But life is not about the start. Life is about the journey. Life is about the finish. And in this moment, wherever you were born, wherever we come from, we are now here together. So wherever anyone thinks you are born, wherever we started, where, whether we were ahead or behind, we are here. And we are here to finish something together. We were born all over this country. Some of us in Ohio, some not. We were born in difficult circumstances. We were born in privileged circumstances. But life is not about where you are born. It's a starting point. But this is a defining point. And I think, yeah, I'm working it out. It was a workshop. I think Ryan Day could have something post-game where he starts off, like, that's what my response would be. That it's not about where you're born. It's about the people in this room 
who came from all kinds of places and all kinds of circumstances uniting in this moment in this place to finish something. And it's not over, but this part of it that we were, we were disappointed. We were frustrated. We were let down. We failed a year ago and we set out together to finish this together. That's what it's about. The discuss- Who cares where you're born? That's not what it's about. Like that to me. Now, would he go there? Because you could go there in a way that almost makes the entire discussion dismissive, right? That makes Harbaugh look silly for even thinking about it that way. Born? What do you mean born? Right? This is earned. This isn't born. You're not born to this. There are people all over the state who love Ohio State who may be born into the rivalry. They're not on this field. They're not part of this team. This is earned. This isn't born. This is earned. Now, if Brian Ferentz was on the staff, that might be different. This is earned. It's earned. I think, I think like an opening statement about that, if I were Ryan Day's PR advisor in victory, I wouldn't mind being a PR advisor. I think I could write, like people like write speeches for politicians. I wouldn't mind a career writing speeches for football coaches. <laughs> It's like, like you're going into halftime. It's like, Ryan, here's your halftime speech. It's like you hand it to him as he walks in. It's like pregame, all right, Ryan, here's some notes, right? I, it could be a new thing. There was a guy who was a journalist for us at, at Cleveland Plain Dealer for a while who then went and was like writing speeches, got hired by Ohio State. He was like writing, writing speeches for the president. I was like, oh, that sounds like a pretty cool job. I kind of would like to be a speechwriter. Football speechwriter. Football coach speechwriter. Maybe somebody should invent that job. That's where I would go with that. All right, let's finish this up. No rants this week, just beat Michigan from the 616. Could have been a short podcast if I had read that one earlier. From the 419, I don't have much to say except, oh, we don't give. And then Alex from North Baltimore spelled it out. Sent all the lyrics. That's acceptable. Those are acceptable rants this week. National perspective will end it with this. It's Dylan. From the 859, long-time listener, first-time texter. Yes, Dylan, boom, you bring it game week. Let's go. I've been thinking a lot about the Maryland game and how angry and worried everybody has been, especially on social media. It's very annoying to me that every other big te- every other big team, Bama, Georgia, Michigan, whatever, gets a pass at having some tough games. But when the Bucks are close to losing, fans lose their mind. The media takes back all the nice things they've said about the Bucks, and everyone forgets that going 12-0 is not supposed to be easy. It's a significant achievement to go undefeated, partly because anyone who fights hard enough under the right circumstances will have a go at you any given week. And Maryland did that last weekend. Ohio State did what they had to do to get over the top, and they fought on. Show me any other championship-level team that hasn't had to do just that any other year, or this one. The Ohio State is the best team in the land, and I hope they will fight tooth and nail to take back our honor and finish undefeated. The heck with Michigan, the heck with the school up north. Go Bucks. Love the show. Dylan. I do think sometimes, right, if we had social media, what people would have been doing in 02 during the season, right? What, <laughs> the, the tweets we would have gone back and, and looked at uh, would have been interesting. From the 210 rant. I don't know if it's only me, but college football podcasters have been habitually hating on Ohio State. And I'm tired of it. They act like winning isn't hard. Winning on the road isn't hard. Battling injuries, being away from home as a young person, coaching changes, NIL requirements and obligations. All those things aren't hard. And you should just blow out every team every week because of an arbitrary composite recruiting ranking. 
Look at Texas A&M and tell me every program with an undefeated record should be celebrated and not dismissed because they had a tough game in a hurricane or against future NFL players. I'll be glad for the 12-team playoff where not every team is beholden to the 2020 Bama or 2019 LSU standard to just get in the playoff. One podcast had a two-loss LSU alum on to drag the Bucks for 30 minutes because they have struggled this year. It makes being a fan frustrating. Just give us some respect for winning and move on. So again, I think I've mentioned it before. I do think the 12-team playoff is going to maybe change how we look at things. You know, the Chiefs lost to the Colts this year, and it didn't mean that people gave up on the on the, the Chiefs, right? So we're going to enter a world where losing's allowed. Now, not in the game. <laughs> that world will never exist. Ohio State fans will always be upset when Ohio State loses to Michigan. But the other, other 11 weeks, I think a loss will be okay, and I think that's going to be good for everybody. It's going to be good for all of us. We've talked about that. We'll talk about it more in the offseason as we get to it. Um, I would really like, it's on my list. I think maybe I can make it happen. I'd love to have Ryan day on in the off season and talk about a lot, a lot of those like psychological things, not like mental health, but like the psychological things that go into a season that go into a, a year that go into a program that go into the way you think about things, the way you seize the moment and think about the big picture simultaneously. The things I asked him about, you, you know, almost having two styles to win. I just think Ohio state psychologically strategically, Ohio State is the most interesting football program in the country. But guess what? It doesn't matter because we're playing Michigan on Saturday. This is not big picture. This is right now. We appreciate you guys being part of it. I'm sorry to all the rants. I got at least 30 rants that I pulled that I didn't get to. We're going to do some more rapid fire. We'll get the more stuff you guys send in. You guys make this happen. Have a great week. We have more podcasts coming. Hang with us. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. If you have not read the story that Nathan put up, Nathan and Steven did a lot of work on that. Nathan really, uh, I think, did a great job pulling it all together. Uh, The story about the parents of the Ohio State players, their angry sons. Go read that. Go read that at cleveland.com slash OSU. We've gotten really good feedback from the people who have read it. People specifically have reached out to say this is a great piece. I think it's informative. It, It lets you, it's a lens that you don't often see things through. But it's the passion, the difficulty Sometimes it'd be an Ohio State player, um, the pain, right? The the rebound. There's a lot of really good inside stuff there because nobody knows these players better than their families. And so we talked to the families for what it's been like, and nobody else did that. So go read that at cleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Go listen to the College Football Survivor Show. Watch our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, cleveland.com and Ohio State Buckeyes. You'll find videos there. And make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye Talk. Gosh, man, you guys make it happen. Thanks so much for being here. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.